Hello, everybody. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And we're the Old Dogs. In this episode, the Old Dogs ramble about living longer. Can we afford it? We ask the all-important question, what happened to cursive writing? We issue a warning, don't put an octopus on your face. We introduce butter as a new sculpture medium that's not so new. We ask, what's your problem? And how to solve it. And, finally, we mourn the passing of Minnie Mouse. In the Old Dogs interview, we'll talk with Dick Smith, music man, ad man, painter, and raconteur, still going strong in his 80s. Stay with us. Paul, what's on your mind today? Well, you know what's on my mind. In the June-July issue of AARP magazine, they have an article titled, Can a Single Pill Keep You Healthy to 100? It describes research currently being done on aging, and of course that raises the question, do you really want to live to be a 100? Well, yeah. What do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. Uh, It seems that some of these medications, and they're coming as early as 2021, target a specific aspect of growing old. Uh, There's one, for example, that uh, targets improving your immune system so that you uh, you have better health but uh, let's say it doesn't uh, prohibit Alzheimer's okay so you could be the healthiest Alzheimer's patient for 20 years and I'm not sure I really want that situation you know if there was a pill that I would like to take it would be a pill that allows me to appreciate hip-hop because uh, otherwise yeah. I'm gonna be crabby about it for the rest of my life oh, oh okay. <laughs> So the question then is, uh, not as simple as it sounds, if you are going to extend your life, are you going to enjoy it, right? Yeah, I I think it boils down to a question of, would you like research to target improving health or extending life? Which one? And I'm not sure that you necessarily have to have one or the other, but it seems to me I would rather be healthy uh, until my final eureka moment, than necessarily be 130 years old. The, and uh, certainly if you uh, had, uh, let's say, limited finances, right? Let's say you had uh, enough money to live to the age of 90 and somebody extended your life to 120, what would you do then? Well, and and that's another issue too. If suddenly we are faced with another 30 years of old age, Oh, you're going to have to go back to work at 100? Yeah. And what the heck can you do at 100? They only need so many greeters at Walmart, <laughs> you know. <laughs> what would you do at 100? Oh, I'd find the last standing hardware store. I see. And I'd be an employee at that hardware store. Ah, okay. Oh, Recommending yeah. screws and nuts, okay? Yep, yep, I could do that. Yeah, well, nuts like us, hopefully there's <laughs> there is some work for us in the future. Yeah. I'm sure many of us remember practicing cursive writing in elementary school over and over again. Oh, yeah. Well, cursive drills are gone, and that presents a problem for the National Archives. This item is from the Washington Post magazine for June 17, 2019. Now, to young people today, the continuous lines of a cursive sentence are difficult to decipher and about as relevant as a rotary dial telephone. 
What's a rotary dial telephone? I don't know, but it's not relevant. Oh, okay. If a computer keyboard or a smartphone are not available for their communication, they revert to hand printing. For institutions like the National Archives, this poses a problem. The archives contain over 15 billion pieces of paper covered with writing, and over 80% is written in cursive. The archives, along with other institutions, are attempting to solve the problem by enlisting an army of citizen archivists to type out the trove of handwritten documents so they can be accessed on the Internet. The problem is, with a declining cursive literacy rate, finding volunteers is a challenge. In many cases, the transcription becomes a school project. Students can examine a piece of history in the actual handwriting of the author. To the students, it may be a fun guessing game, but their assignments are serving a purpose. Now, of course, at some point in the future, computers and optical character recognition will take over. But for now, these volunteers are helping preserve historical documents. If you still have your cursive chops, you might consider volunteering at the National Archives. I will have to pass since my cursive is at best cursory. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, pretty bad. Yeah. All right, this is a warning, a caution that may seem unnecessary. Do not, I repeat, do not put an octopus on your face. This item is from HuffPost.com for August 7th, 2019. A woman participating in a salmon fishing derby near Tacoma, Washington, realized she was out of the running for the fishing, so she decided to go for the photo contest. She grabbed a plate-sized octopus that a friend had just caught and put it on her face. (laughs) An amusing idea for a photo, right? Oh, sure. Except the octopus bit down on her chin and wouldn't let go. The woman finally parted company with the creature, but the bite led to a hospital visit. She did get the last laugh, though, or should we say the last bite. She grilled the octopus and served it in a salad. Paul, what's that on your face? (laughs) There's a few things that are constants at the Iowa State Fair. Corn dogs, blue ribbon animals, and a life-size butter sculpture of a cow. This pod nugget is from the Washington Post for August 13th, 2019. Sarah Pratt is the fair's fifth official butter sculptor since the position first appeared in 1911. So how do you become the official butter sculptor? In Sarah's case, she apprenticed to the previous butter sculptor for several years. Now, the main butter sculpture is always a cow. But since 1996, there have been companion sculptures drawn from pop culture. This year, the Butter Buddies are Sesame Street characters. Now, here's a surprising fact. The butter Sarah uses is older than you would think. Since new butter is crumbly, she works with butter that is 14 years old. Ooh. Yeah, which she recycles each year. At that age, it is more like working with clay. She adds a little new butter each year, but most of her supply is butter way past its use-by date. She works on her sculptures in a 40-degree refrigerated cooler. Now, a natural question is, what does 14-year-old butter smell like after a few hours in an enclosed space? Let me guess. Well, her tactful reply is that it smells a lot like blue cheese. Mm -hmm. Of course, after a day's work, she says... 
Flies follow her everywhere. <laughs> now, in case you're worried, butter sculpting will continue into the future at the Iowa State Fair. Honestly, Jim, I wasn't worried. Oh, but... I was a little. Her 15-year-old twin daughters are her apprentices, and they are hoping to take over someday. Who knows how old the butter will be by then? Probably old enough to retire. We have all blundered into saying something we wish we could take back. Right, Paul? Uh, not me. Here is some practical advice for taking it back from the Smarter Living section of the New York Times for August 19th, 2019. Before you apologize, figure out exactly what you did wrong. If you aren't clear about the damage, ask, uh, what did I do? Don't get caught up in feelings of shame that amplify the situation, and don't let it fester. Try to handle the hurt as soon as possible. During the apology, don't get defensive or make excuses for your behavior. Accept that what the other person felt was real. Avoid canned phrases and speak from the heart. Assure the other person that it won't happen again. You've learned from your mistake. If after giving your best efforts at an apology, the other person can't let it go, disengage. You can't make someone accept your apology. They may need some time to reflect on what you just said. And at all costs, avoid the temptation to take a parting shot like, hey, get over it, or what's your problem? All right, now, if you have a problem with this advice, uh, contact the New York Times. Yeah, maybe you get an apology. Wouldn't count on it. Wouldn't count on it. Russie Taylor, a voice actor, died at the end of July this year at the age of 75. She supplied the voices for several animated characters, but her most famous character was Minnie Mouse. And you'll never guess who she was married to. This pod nugget is from the July 30th edition of the Washington Post. Taylor won the role of Minnie in 1986 by beating out over 150 other actors. Apparently, she had a perfect high-pitched sound. Mickey, at the time, was a voice actor named Wayne Allwine. They spent many hours together doing voice work in the studio. Over time, their work blossomed into romance, and they were married in 1991. The couple preferred to keep their relationship private. Remembering that Mickey and Minnie never married, they thought it best to keep the focus on the characters. They continued their on-screen and off-screen relationship until Wayne died in 2009. Bill Farmer, who started working as the voice of Goofy in 1987, witnessed their romance developing. He commented, They were just so in love and so wonderful together. I think that love came through in their performances and gave it a little something extra. That's really sweet, isn't it? It is. It's very sweet. That's not like us at all. (laughs) The term Renaissance man may be overused, but Dick Smith is definitely one. A singer and pianist since high school, Dick studied TV production in college, then went on to a highly successful career in advertising. During all that time, though, Dick continued to entertain at nightclubs and private events. When he retired a few years ago, Dick not only kept up his singing and playing chops, he added successful painter to his resume. Here's Dick talking about his life and times. Dick, for decades, you've been an entertainer, an ad man, a music producer, and into your retirement now, it looks like you've developed a new career as a painter We'd like to talk to you a little bit about how all of that happened. Okay. Uh, I ro- enrolled in the University of Houston upon graduating from high school and spent 
two years there studying television production. TV was relatively new at the time, and that's how I I really kind of began, uh, and that led ultimately to a, my career in advertising. Uh, after studying production there for a couple of years, I was drafted. You know, it was during the right after the Korean War and uh, sent to the United Kingdom. I finished my tour came back to Houston and started working clubs, playing the piano and singing in, in clubs in Dallas and Houston and Chicago and Florida and really Texas, kind of all over the country. Uh, okay. And, well, uh, uh, tell me something. The, uh, what's interesting is that you were, you went yeah. into the television production program, but apparently this talent for uh, entertaining was not something that you went to school for. You just always had it. Well, I, I started really in high school, performing in high school shows, and then I performed at the University of Houston at uh, shows and uh, all kinds of fraternities and sororities, putting on shows, and I performed there. And uh, in those days, clubs were, there were two kinds of clubs. Basically, they were public beer joints, and there were clubs, private clubs, and so I worked at that circuit, and uh, it was a good, good entertainment, a good opportunity for me to make some money, and uh, uh, that's, that's how I began. I did that for seven or eight years, you know. Mm-hmm. So then after you came back from the Army and you started entertaining, is that what led you to start uh, Zimmersmith with Don Zimmer? Is that what the next step was? No, the next step, uh, at that point, I was still working clubs, and uh, at some point, I figured out that, that I had since gotten married to my first marriage. I had my first child. And all of a sudden, I've got a house of responsibility of paying for house payments and things like that. So I needed to get a real job. And uh, Keith Butler, who was the advertising manager of the Houston Post, uh, we, was a member of one of the clubs that I performed in. And one night, he asked me, did I, what, what did I want to do with the rest of my life? And I said, I turned, looked at him right in the eye, and, and, and like I knew what I was doing, and said, I want to be in advertising. So he said, advertising? Well, I'm in advertising. And the next thing I know, two weeks later, I've got a job interview, and a week later or so, I'm working for the Houston Post. And that's how I got my job in advertising. Well, I met some people in, in the business, and... Uh, you know, I began to know people who were in the agency business and people who created advertising, and that's how I got my first opportunity to work for ALO Advertising, and I got a job there as a writer, and uh, that's how my career began. And as, as they say, the rest is history. Uh, Dick, you have a, a very unique perspective on the ad business and how it's changed. Uh, how do you see it's changed over the years? Uh, you know, it's hard to say. I watch a lot of advertising on television, like everybody else does now, and I see a lot of bad stuff, and I see a lot of stuff that doesn't make any sense. I'm one I look at it and saying, "What in the hell are they trying to sell me there?" Because you know, I <laughs> I can't figure it out. And so I think that aspect of it has changed. Later on, Dick, uh, when you moved back to Houston. 
you participated in a number of partnerships with advertising agencies. Your name was on the door. Do you remember, in particular, any really magic moments where some campaign that you and your agency worked on really just broke uh, through everything? Yeah, I remember out? one that was that was in, instrumental in our growth was we got a job as advertising for Whataburger, the hamburger place. Mm-hmm. So we helped them become really a, a later on a national hamburger joint, you know, and well known around the country. And uh, so we we began to grow the agency and uh, you know and grew it into sixty five people and uh, thirty five million dollars in billing, you know. Yeah. Say, Dick, are are you a fan of the uh, TV show Mad Men by any chance? Uh, I've seen some of some of the episodes uh, on uh, Netflix, and uh, my question would be: is is that fiction or is that biography? I think a lot of it is. Uh, well, it's fiction. It a lot of it's biography. A lot of it's the way it was in those days. You know, we spent a lot, first of all, uh, we drank a lot in those days, and uh, everybody did. We you know, every agency had a bar and. Uh, so uh, we we did a, some serious drinking and had a whole lot of fun in those days, and uh, but we also did some very serious and very good advertising. And uh, well, this uh, all just kept on mounting your reputation. Eventually, there came a time when you decided it was time to retire. And I'm particularly interested in the fact that when you retired, uh, you seem to have m- made a very conscious decision that you were not going to just sit and twiddle your thumbs. That when you moved to the little town of LaGrange in central Texas, you continued to explore local advertising opportunities. The second was you started painting and actually developed quite a, a talent for painting. And third, you continue to entertain people in the local area. What prompted you to generate new energy in those directions? Well, I, I actually got started when I was still living in Houston in the painting. I, uh, so I always had an interest in art, and uh, the older I got, the more interested I became. And uh, then I met somebody at the Glassdale School in uh, Houston, which was which is part of the Museum of Fine Arts, and uh, and uh, they suggested that maybe I should take some lessons or whatever. And before you knew it, I was a student at the Glassdale School, and I spent four years studying art there and uh, painting and learning how to be a painter. And uh, then when I moved to Lagrange, you know. I started doing it seriously and started, you know, offering my paintings for sale. People actually bought them, and uh, and I'm still doing it. I still enjoy it. I've been doing it now about 20 years. Dick, does your day ever still include advertising? Typically, I might be asked to do a couple of radio spots. I, you know, I've got an art director I work with in Houston who has been doing it as long as I have, and. Uh, so he and I collaborate and do a lot of stuff, and we do do some local advertising. And when do you fit the painting in? Well, I you know I paint spasmodically, and I what I will do is I'll paint like mad for a while, and I'll do maybe thirty or forty paintings, 
and uh, I've used local. I, I do a lot of landscape work, so I'll, you know, I can go out and do barns and cows. And I particularly love the, the Texas and the Big Bend area. So I've gone gone to Big Bend several times to paint down there and to, and to create that magic of of Big Bend. And uh, I also perform at Festival Hill. I do an annual program at Festival Hill up in uh, Round Top, which is a music festival that's been held. This is the 50th year. So what else do you want to know? <laughs> What's next? Yeah, well, course. can you paint my house? I need to change the color. <laughs> What's next for you, Dick? Is there anything else that you like a bucket list or something that you're still looking forward to? What's next is I'll be in a box somewhere, you know. And... <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to seeing what you do with that box, Dick. I'm going to make it a clever box and we'll paint it or something. <laughs> <laughs> what else can I pass on to you? Well, I got a question, Dick. Um, what we like to do in our interviews is is uh, ask the interviewee if you have any advice for people, how to stay engaged with life. Do you have anything you'd like to share? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's important, again, to, to stay engaged. To me, if you want to have a good life, try new ideas and try uh, developing ideas. And, uh, you know, life just goes on, and I try to make it as interesting as I can. Well, it looks like we made it through another episode. If you enjoyed it, let us know. Or if you know somebody who'd be fun to interview, tell us about them. You can reach us at our website, olddogspodcast.com. And hey, keep on howling at the moon. <laughs>